This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I could not be more thrilled and truly more honored to have Jim Shockey as a guest on today. Welcome. Oh, boy. That's, that's uh, quite an intro. I'm, it's a real pleasure to be here. I want to tell you, I, um, I got your book. This is the coolest thing about doing podcasts is that people send you books. And sometimes they let you know in advance, and sometimes they just show up in your mailbox. So yours just showed up in my mailbox one day, and it was back in the summer, maybe July-ish. And I got your book. I got the advanced copy. I actually have I've got both. (laughs) This is a fantastic book, Call Me Hunter, your first fiction book. And I got this book in the mail and it says right on the cover that it doesn't come out until October. And so it was a summer and I thought, well, I probably should hold off on reading it until it's a little bit closer and we're going to get a chance to talk. But I picked it up anyway and I was like, I'll just, you know, I'll just give it a little go. I'll give it a start. What's this book about? And then Jim, I couldn't put it down. (laughs) My brain kept saying, put it down and wait, (laughs) put it down and wait. And I could not, it is an absolute page turner. Call me Hunter. I read it in the summer and I took notes and then I just, then I ended up rereading it uh, in the past couple days to get ready for talking with you. But they just thoroughly enjoyed it. It's entertaining, it's deep. I love the lines of family and relationship that run through it. And so from one reader's perspective, well done, amazing work on, your first fiction book. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting here getting shivers because it's, uh, you know, when you when you write a book like that, you're, you're putting, and for me, it was a lifetime. I mean, I waited, I waited and waited and waited until I had an actual story to tell. So mm-hmm. to hear it now means I didn't waste my entire life, uh, you know, the accolades, uh, you know, like I say, and I can also tell when I do podcasts, who's read it? Is is very interesting. I know you've read it. I know you've read it because that's the response for for people that have. And and you know, I did want to holding the book up, but I know I hadn't read it. So so this is nice. This is a real pleasure, and I'm I'm really really happy that you enjoyed the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I would love to talk about this podcast. Is the listener base is a lot of parents, and there are parents who have this goal of giving their kids really a full childhood that can lead to a full life. And you have a very full life. When I say full, I mean like a wonderfully full, not like full, it's too busy. Award-winning outdoor writer, wildlife photographer, videographer, naturalist, wilderness guide, and outfitter. I mean, you started a museum. You're an expert in folk and tribal art. So this full life that you have, and you talk about the fairy tale that you, you know, you're living with your wife and you start and end the book with her. Just what a beautiful read from the beginning to the end. So I think that listeners will be really curious to know, I'm curious to know, actually, really, just for myself, where does this come from? Where do those roots come from? So I'd love to start on this topic that you did wait a long time to write this. So you're a very accomplished person, extremely accomplished. I mean, that was just skimming the surface. You have the famed 12,000 square mile Rogue River Outfitting in the Yukon Territory. 
you know, you're the Canadian Armed Forces, the Honorary Lieutenant Colonel. I mean, all of these things, you're so accomplished. And yet somehow you decided or knew that you should wait to write this book. I mean, of anyone who has a full life, I mean, that's a really full life. And I got the paper that goes along with it. It says 25 years in the making, but really you started writing in elementary school Yeah. at the age of 10. So I'd just be curious to know, like we live in a culture where everyone wants everything now and we try and do it now and we want the fame now and we want the thing now, but you waited decades before you wrote this book. How did you know to do that? When I was 10, I mean, I started, I grew up in a trailer park. My parents had no money. You know, my dad, if we didn't, if he didn't get a moose every fall, we didn't eat meat in the wintertime. It was, you know, we ate macaroni. So, so, you know, so I, I wouldn't say we were poor, but we certainly didn't have a lot of money. And the conversations around the dinner table was whether dad would get laid off and whether, you know, when we finally did, uh, we're able to buy a house, whether we'd lose it, the mortgage couldn't pay it. Mm. So th- this is what I grew up with. And and my parents were wonderful, caring people. Uh, and, and I found, for me, I found solace outside, you know, like looking for earthworms and beetle bugs and, and insects. And I, I was fascinated by anything natural. And, and I, you know, maybe it was a little bit of escapism from the reality of my you know, the, the life I was living. But I, I knew by the age of 10, and by then I could read, and, and uh, I, I knew that I would write a novel someday. I wanted to be a novelist. I was already reading novels by the age of 10. Couldn't read at, at grade three, but uh, like everybody else could. But by the age of you know, two years later, I was reading, you know, advanced level books. Uh, so I knew I'd be a novelist. That fascinated me. And I also knew I'd start a museum. I'd have my own museum someday. So, so in my ten-year-old little brain, I said, "Okay, you know, how, how do you do that?" Well, the museum was easy. You start collecting insects and pretty rocks and borrowing fishing lures from your dad's tackle box and my grandfather's, especially those are the cool ones, and seashells. And I, you know, they didn't cost anything, and I could gather them up, put them in my little room. The novel, I started it then too. You know, I mean, I was reading, and, and I. <laughs> I got about eight pages, 10 pages in, and I realized I, I, I don't have a story to tell. I literally don't have a story to tell. So I, I, at that age, I shelled the novel and said, okay, I have to live a life. But I started on the museum collecting. And, and to, to do the museum, I had it envisioned. I mean, I was going to travel all over the world and gather this and see these people and, and you know, be part of that, you know, dig whatever around the world and uh, – so, so that I could do, and I oriented my life towards that. When you were saying people have their goals, uh, that we want instant gratification nowadays, I had no problem whatsoever looking 50 years out, half a century ahead, and saying, yeah, if I, if I and, and nowadays I say, if you, if you drive in one direction for half a century, you end up somewhere. And, and this is where I've ended up. I never, I've never made decisions that took me off that course. You know, they were you know, my soulmate. I had to find someone that would tolerate that kind of a lifestyle. It wasn't, you know, so I didn't I didn't settle for anything other than what was part of this big goal and, and uh, never compromised, never allowed myself to be pulled away, never got golden handcuffs because I wanted a, a better truck. If I, you know, if it took me away from my goal, like having a job and getting paid and having a nice fancy truck, 
I'd rather hitchhike. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't have to have the job. I can go do what I wanted. So, so I, I focused on that. And, and um, you, you know, as far as the novel, I penned the first words. Javago is dead. I hunted him down and I killed him. And, and actually that first page, I, I wrote that about 93. So, you know, a long time ago, it's 30 years ago. And, and I, and I sat there and I, I knew where the story, I knew the start of the story, but I realized again, you know, just like I had when I was 10, I hadn't lived enough. Now, you can write a novel like Jack Carr, his his novels. He he's been there, done that. He's walked the walk. You know, he's writing about an an actual life that he lived. You know, now yeah. Yeah, sure he turns it fictional, but uh, it, you know, for me to you know come out of university and become a writer, novelist, I might have my degree in English lit, but but uh, you know, then you're making everything up. So you have to go research this, go there, you know, see. I wanted to do all that first. And the story becomes that's that's what Call Me Hunter is. It's it's a truly autobiographical, abstract, fictional thriller. Mm -hmm. Because I lived life first before I wrote it down. So I, I didn't have to make a whole bunch up for Call Me Hunter. It was uh, been there. Mm. So thirty years you start it. Yeah. You, I mean it's twenty twenty three. It comes out. I know I'm sure that, you know, obviously you wrote it last year and not just extremely recently. It's been a a bit. Well, how do you know when you're ready? Uh, <laughs> I was running out of time. That that's the bottom line is, you know, I'm a very pragmatic person. I look at life. I don't I realize I'm not immortal. I, I know life and death. I've I've seen it. I've seen it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and so I I mean I you look look at the time clock. I mean, how many more years do I have? So I, I was it was 2016. I decided that my last international expedition would be 2019 October Mozambique and you know that was the point where I I said look if I don't stop this and I was you know I had the it takes years to set up these expeditions to these countries in these remote parts of these countries so so I was three years booked out so 2016 2019 October Mozambique was the last international trip and November 1st 2019 I sat down and, and picked up you know, Javago was dead. I hunted him down and I killed him and I, and I started writing. And and to be fair, I I could could have written the first hundred pages in my sleep. I could have watched TV uh, and written because because I already on every mountain I'd ever been on in every customs office I say that you know whenever I was trapped somewhere for days you know storms in the Arctic I was writing it in my head like a prisoner you know without a paper and a pen but I was working through it working through it yeah and I, I would you know the guys i was with or ladies whoever was in the camps i would you know occasionally just to keep it straight i would tell the story mm. and and uh i mean li i mean literally the, the story and, and so 2019 november i sat down and i started writing it covid you know hit we were locked down anyway right after that mm. so i couldn't have been traveling even if i wanted to it was serendipity and uh, i just i kept writing it but yeah, writing it was one thing, you know, and, and uh, anyone that's out there that's done a novel to try and get it published, holy smokes, that was, you know, I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I'm pretty capable of dealing with bureaucracies around the world and governments and, but the, the writing world, it's tough. I mean, you need an agent and then you have to, the agent has to be able to get it to a publisher. And I, I wasn't, I could self-publish. I mean, you know, I could self-publish. It's not. That, that would have been easy and i've got a big enough following it would have done well and i made lots of money 
but that's not what I wanted. I, you know, before when we were off air, you mentioned I mean you may not be my target market. In fact, you are absolutely one hundred percent my target market. Readers that are that are not involved with my world, that where people know me, and you know, I want this is a story that I think reaches outside of you know the vertical you know outdoor naturalist field to table lifestyle uh, you know that that crowd. So so yeah, you're the target market, and but it. Wow. it it took it took another four years, and, and the you know it's it finally I have a hard copy of it now, like an actual printed, yeah. you know. So 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 yeah. it's yeah, it took four years from the point I sat down and started writing again. Well, and when you talk about serendipity, well, and the timing, and then your wife got a chance to hold a copy of it. Yeah, and I saw that you said they overnighted. She got to hold it and see it. Yeah. So just the timing of that is very beautiful. And I love that. I love that you're using a novel to expand who knows about you and who comes around the things that you're putting out into the world. And it really does do that. And by having it be published with a publisher, then it does. It The tentacles reach out further. I was really drawn to the characters. Hunter, and then do you say Nyala? Yeah. yeah well, How do you pronounce that? Well, the actual pronunciation in Swahili is Nyala. 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 But that's not in my mind it was all in Nyala. 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 Yeah. So but so it, and it's funny, people that read it, because there's some names in some places are you know, it's like any book. If you don't know exactly how to pronounce it, you your brain does it automatically. For me it was always Nyala. Mm -hmm. So when I was doing the audiobooks, I, I used Nyala and then mm -hmm. Scott is doing the he's doing the third person perspective i did the second person perspective mm -hmm. so so he uh, he would then have to use my niala right. whatever he was thinking you know you got to use what i thought even right. though it's niñala niñala is is the proper way to pronounce it but that is not how we would do it over here and and in fact it, it's an antelope in africa and a mm -hmm. very beautiful antelope and yeah mostly over here in north america we'd say niala niala but it, but it's mm -hmm. you know I, for me it was niala yeah, so, and I do love that beautiful tie-in at the end about the antelope. These characters, these two characters in particular, Hunter and Nyala, they have this deep connection to nature. And so that was something that really drew me in. Well, it's uncommon these days. And I think it's also though something that we're yearning for is to be that connected. So hearing a little bit of your story, would you say that you modeled those characters off of yourself or off of your childhood? <laughs> Except for Zhivago, you know, the, the, the one villain, I mean, what an evil character. That did not, I didn't model that off anything in my you know, real experience. Every character there, because I wrote it, is, is mm -hmm. me or people close to me. So what they feel, you know, the discovery of the outdoors, uh, you know, Hunt, Hunter, the, the character, he, he never discovered that that's what he had inside of him. And, and so many people have this innate desire to be out in the wildlands. You know, that, that's, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's natural as, you know, the sun rising. It, it just is. Now, not everybody, might, not everybody has that. Historically, 10% of the people were hunters, you know, and the, and the rest of the people yeah. in whatever tribal group they were, they were basically doing the other parts that, that those people didn't do. So, and that, you know, we, we can say we're civilized and we've, you know, we've, I don't know, bred it out of ourselves, but we haven't. And that's mm -hmm. why there's so many people that feel dissatisfied, you know, unfulfilled 
yes, they're doing a job. Yes, they have a nice apartment in downtown New York City. And and yes, they're, they're getting paid well and they get to go to fancy restaurants, but they don't feel whole. And it's because those people have that that gene inside them. And there'll be scientists going, that's not proven. Well, you know, I'm not saying it as a scientist. I'm saying it as a, a layman that's observing. And that's why I think we're getting so many people nowadays. And, and COVID, you know, to be fair, COVID allowed people, almost forced people to go outside and breathe fresh air, listen to the birds, go away from other people, uh, you know, de-urbanize. Yeah. We saw that in those prices, land prices, just because everybody was trying to get out to nature. And once they got out there, it's pretty nice. You know, they, they started, wow, I can grow my own garden. <laughs> it's I, nice. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they get, you know, they, they, they start to realize who, who or realize who they are, who they want to be. They just don't know it in the city because it gets cluttered and smudged up and you don't, you, you just, you can't see it literally for the buildings and the people. So, so, yeah, the, but the characters were, they were all, you know, I mean, but, but they're, they're or people very close. And, and that's why I say to anybody, go, go ahead, research it. You know, it's all true. I mean, as much of it is true that you can prove is true. Wow. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchap.com slash outside120 code outside120. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com/outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off.
Wow. Yeah, I loved, it was just very gripping. Like when we would talk about, she hated all the cities she always had. She didn't know why, you know, the fresh air of the country, the freedom, the space, the wild animals, you know, the sensitivity. And then just these different parts that are just applicable even outside of a fiction book. Like we live apart from nature now, and that is considered acceptable. But living in nature, being part of nature is not. Living as our ancestors did is somehow unacceptable. So lots of threads in there about, how we really want to live and the things that draw us. And so I love that that was woven into several of the characters, especially with Hunter and Niala. And, you know, even, um, you know, if you read it as a mom or if you read it as maybe an older child that really likes novels and that's a reminder. You even talked in there about playing hide and seek and tag and Simon says, and uh, there was talk about just running free and, and not having a care in the world. There were dogs all over. And so it was a reminder, good reminders of what gives us a really full life. And it makes you think like, oh yeah, that's, it's a reminder. Like that's really how I want to live too. So just really beautiful, that part of it. I loved it. And I also loved, I was really intrigued by the art. It's sort of a world that I'm not all that familiar with, but you could tell through reading the book, this is your thing. Yeah, I love it. And, and the the young character Hunter at the beginning, well, that's part of his. You know, Niela calls it su his superpower mm -hmm. that he he feels art. And and I yeah. truly believe that now in this museum, it's the Hand of Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation. So mm -hmm. a, a large portion of this museum, and it's big. It's seventeen thousand square feet, and it's not curated like. The modern here's two pieces in a big gymnasium oh i saw a video of it it is stocked full yes. books i looked at the video it's a beautiful video by the way the music was beautiful and it's like every room you it's all these different rooms and they're filled yeah yeah and that that's the thread that runs through the whole museum is everything is either created by humans or you know, in, in, like even the taxidermy that's in here, that's an art form. I, I was the keynote speaker at the World Taxidermy Championships pre-COVID in, in Springfield, Missouri, at the Bass, Bass Pro headquarters of Bass Pro. And 50% of the taxidermists were women. It's an art form. So even the taxidermy in this museum, the natural history side of it, it it's, an, it's art. And so all the masks, you know, all the samplers, all the beadwork, these were created by people, you know, not so much for ceremonial sometimes, but love, whether it's just an artistic expression that they needed to, uh, you know, maybe it was an idiosyncratic piece of art or, or an ethnocentric piece that they, you know, had to follow form line from ancestors. But the, the thread that runs through it is made by a human being. And many of these most in this museum that, that made these pieces are gone. So all that is left of them, many of them, there's no memories. There's no, you know, even the next generations are gone, but they live on in that piece. And I sincerely believe, and I'm not a heebie-jeebie kind of person, but I believe the spirit of the people that created these works of art lives on. And we, depending on how attuned we are to it, we, we pick it up. We pick up that sense of, whatever it is of that person's soul and and uh, it, it's interesting there's a, a long we call it the grand reveal when you open up the door and there's it's a huge long hallway packed and people go oh and as they walk down that hallway 
I can tell people that are that are more switched on that maybe are are more in tune. So, you know, we like you know we get stuff. We got you know cell phones. We got this. You know. Yeah. But then you'll get people that come through and and they just start to tear up because they're feeling they're feeling yeah. the works of art, and and that's why art to me is you know it represents people. Michelangelo was wonderful. Sistine Chapel was beautiful, but that isn't better than the person that did a little beaded shawl to give to their daughter for their wedding back in 1840. You know, it, it, it may be, you know, I mean, <laughs> better. It's certainly more valuable, but it's not more worthy than the person that just did something out of their heart, out of your heart, out of your heart is out of your heart. Everybody's equal. We're all equal. It doesn't matter what color we are, what language, what food we, where we live, what religion we adhere to. We're all equal. So, when someone creates something from their heart, that's just as valid as Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, in which he created from his heart. Art for me has always been, you know, I mean, it's a, been a big, big, big part of my life, along with you know, quite a few other interests. Mm -hmm. What I really loved about it was, it, because this was the central theme of the book, was the art and being able to tell the fakes from, which that's a whole other interesting thing, that people imitate and they create these fakes and that the superpower was to be able to, I guess, like you're saying, like to be in tune and to know which ones came from the heart of the person and which ones were copied. And I think the message that I got that came through to me was really how powerful art is, that this is the main currency, that this was like the biggest thing. And it it was eye-opening. That's Beautiful. I love it. Love it that, that you see that. And and also the the organization, our world, that mm -hmm. abuses that beautiful ability. Yeah. You know, for their own financial ends. I mean, it's, you know, there's <laughs> there's many parallels you can draw to to our world today. Yeah. And from that the fictional side of the yeah. book, but it's there's yeah. that's why I say it, it's kind of the truth. Right. Well, even, well, there's a good twist. And so I obviously don't ever give it away in a podcast, but the soul catcher was a really good twist and it wasn't what I expected. And so people got to pick it up to read it, to find out what that was. Call me Hunter, but just, yeah, beautiful parallels. And I love it when a work of fiction, when it's entertaining, it's page turning. You can't put it down, even though, you know, you should, like I should read this in a couple months and not now, but I can't. And also just, you walk away with a lot of different type of topics to think about. One of the statements in here that I loved. I'm like, I could put this up on my wall. It said, time did not stop for the powerful any more than it stopped for the most insignificant living thing. So just a lot of really powerful undercurrents in the book. Well, and this is in there several times, life will always beget death and death will always beget life. Right. Yeah. That was in there several times as well. Yeah, we need, it, it's a continuum and it has to be, We and we have to accept it and 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 embrace it you know we, we shouldn't fear death because it, it has to happen in order for there to be new life life begets death begets life begets death that this is a continuum there's nothing we're looking at that's going to be around that's alive in whatever amount of time yeah. and it's you know, we don't like to see that because who wants to have that reality you know when you ask me you know why did i choose now at that point it's because I know I don't have a lot of time. I mean, my hair is gray, you know, from dealing with export import on one half uh, around the world, and from my daughter, our daughter on the other half. But it's, you know, we we just we love to live in our 
in our little bubble and not face reality and, and the truths that are in this book. I, I wanted to tell the truth. And and it in a, in a way that people, you, you learn it and you know it, but I would love for people to accept it. You know, and, and part is, you know, eating meat and animals. I mean, people eat hamburgers and they, they buy it in a cellophane package and they think that, you know, a hunter shouldn't go out and get his meat, hmm. you know, or his, her meat. You know, the fastest growing segment of that world is, is females. And, you know, being in touch with your ancestral soul to stand out there and know that your ante everybody's antecedents, everybody listening to this right now, deny it or not, your antecedents survived and were able to make you because their antecedents were good hunters. You know, we and it's a reality. Now we we you know became agrarian maybe nine thousand years ago. We started, and that allowed our population to grow to where it is eight billion people today. But it, it, we domesticated animals, cattle, chickens. There's twenty five billion chickens in the world today. You know, they replaced wildlife. There's seven billion head of cattle. They replaced wildlife. There's four billion horses, five billion goats, five billion sheep. Like the, the biomass is still there, but it's not wildlife anymore. And part of this is to recognize that there's, there is good in embracing that past that we all came from. And I'm not saying everybody, like I say, 10% of the people out there. And it's not a book about hunting at all. It's a book about tolerance. Believe what you want, but also accept other people's point of view because almost invariably it's a cultural perspective, right and wrong. We all know inherently what's right and wrong. Juvago didn't, you know. So you you get these aberrations, these mutations, but but generally people are good and they know what's wrong, but you know they believe this about this. Well, somebody who's really smart believes this about this, and and it's the same thing, but different, totally opposite points of view. So this novel was meant for people. It's great cognitive dissonance, you know, where they I believe this, but there's another alternative way to look at it. And and we need to start doing that. Tolerance, not a big world anymore. We better start getting along. Isn't it interesting how many truths you can weave into a fiction story? I just love that. You come away with entertainment, but also so much food for thought. And I'm also curious. I'm I'm really curious because, you know, you talk about at the front and the end that fairy tales are real. And I would say that most people would say fairy tales are not real. Just such a beautiful message to your wife about your wife. I mean, the front and the end. To my dying day and my last free breath, every heartbeat is for you. Fairy tales are real. And then you end it with, without you, I could have never lived this one life we are granted. Without you, there is no without you. We still have eternity to look forward to. And it's very gripping because I don't think, like in a lot of ways that people don't live the way that your book portrays like a lot of people are not connected to nature and a lot of people are not connected to art i think a lot of people are not connected to a love like that and you saw i mean you see it i mean i, I saw your posts you know just so recently that that you used to hike over the mountains to the ocean and you would hold hands and then you're walking to the gate with the wheelchair and you're still holding hands and it's still beautiful it's like where does that come from i think it, it's by being open to it and, and being aware. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, my, my wife, my soulmate, Louise, 39 years, 113 days, 14 and a half hours. That's what I was gifted to, you know, this, this beautiful, 
beautiful person outside that's what people saw but inside is what they 100% of the time recognized and and i i, I think it's just b- being good being positive and and accepting and and being open to it and not getting not getting caught up in what we think you know what our friends like i you know i see people chasing after the bigger apartment the bigger boat the bigger jet and and it, that's there's no <laughs> there's just there's no soul in that but if you're open to a relationship and and not a facile because they look pretty or whatever it's not that this is it's an inside feeling that you have to be willing to accept but when you're willing to accept it you're also willing to shoulder great great hurt you know equal and opposite you you want great true true deep love you're going to feel one of you is going to feel great great deep pain and if you're if you have children if you both pass away at the same time they're going to feel it if you if you've raised your children to feel that you know so so i i mean how do you how do you do that for me it was it was a joie de vivre a love of life and and embrace it i mean this what i'm going through right now you know i can kick and scream and throw a tantrum and and yell and and uh, be depressed feel sorry for myself but it's not going to change anything and 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 this deep feeling i think it was samuel donaldson in lord fowl's bane of all books but you know he he said hope is only for those who also despair and i, I paraphrase slightly but but it's it's the truth you, you want to know hope you're going to you sh- you have to know despair so that means you you got to know up and you got to know down and you these you then you'll know the, the wonder of hope and you'll know you know the sadness of despair and the hopelessness of it but, but if you just run flatline every niala niala in the book she says you know she she's going to go back to work the next day and and the next day and it'll be the same thing the next day and then it's repeat 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 yeah. there's no there you don't live i think it's really important for people you and, and i say this all the time and and when they walk through this museum and hopefully when they read this book you get one life you get one life so why would you waste it why would you use up days doing something that that you're not that doesn't fulfill you because you think you're going to get those days back if you're not yesterday is gone whatever you did yesterday if it wasn't you weren't living your life and 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 feeling alive you're not going to get that back that's a day gone and like i say people don't like to look forward they don't like to acknowledge that life begets death begets life begets death and we're just part of that continuum we're not a cosmic event when we're sitting here on this earth so mm-hmm. we're going to go away and when that time comes do you want to be sitting there you know on your deathbed or wherever it happens maybe in that fleeting second if it's an accident thinking oh you know i regret I regret you should never I mean, if right now a meteor hit me be careful if it did i there's not one single regret there's not one thing not one single thing that i would have done differently in my life wow not one choice not one decision i made because every decision i made i made what true from my heart 100% all in and let's 
do this for, and you know, I try to do it, live a moral, ethical life as well, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a, a true life, uh, loving life, and you know, honest life, all those things, honorable, chivalrous. I try to do all of that along the way. So every decision I made was based on all that, and with my ultimate goal in mind, which was the novel and the museum. People, you get one life. Every everybody listening, you you get one life. If you're unfulfilled, dissatisfied with what you're doing, change. People say, I can't. Well, yeah, you can. Of course you can. Every single person listening to this. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you know, you're five foot two and want to become a center for the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, that be a little bit realistic in what your expectations are, too. But if that's what you want, go try it. Have at it. I mean, what, what, was, his, what was his name? Spud Webb or Spud, Spud yeah, Webb? He, he, he was five foot six and he could dunk, dunk a basketball. He played in the NBA for a long time. So, so, you can do it. Everybody can do it. And I'm not saying, you know, that it's not going to be work. You you know, when I set a goal for myself, I have no problem at the start of my life setting a goal that's half a century away. I'll attain it in time. And, and you can't, you know, back to what you were saying, people want instant gratification. It isn't. You just keep working at it. You know, it's not luck. It's, it's you know, it's not. It's, 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 you just keep going that direction. You know, it's not luck you ended up somewhere. You know, yes, there's things that slow you down and obstacles in the way, difficulties you have to face, challenges that just in, seem insurmountable. But, but you, <clears throat> okay, that's part of it. Right now, what I'm going through is, you know, I mean, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. So it's part of the human, what does they say, 90 billion people lived here? It's a feeling. So why, why away from it? Mm -hmm. Wow. So this fairy tale comes partially from acknowledgement that you get one shot. You get one shot. So love well and live well. It's really beautiful. I actually had had this quote. It was one of my favorite quotes in the book, the one that you just said. We live each day the same as the previous day, the same as the next. We rid ourselves of responsibility for our actions. Self-determination is determined by what others think. We simply redo, 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 redo. I wrote that? No. You did. Even I like that. <laughs> but you know, when, it's when on I'm, page 285. <laughs> yeah. When I'm writing, I know, like, because it's a truth. And, it, and it, someone told me a long time ago when I told them I wanted to be a writer, they said the best writing is honest writing. So when I write that, I, I sincerely believe that. And, and you know, and, and I feel saddened when I see people that live in the circle that they all, and that'll be another quote in there somewhere that they, they tell each other their same truth over and over in their same little circle and, you know, to keep the real the reality out. And and it's, you, sometimes you just have to look at it and say, it's, I'm not doing this because the social winds are saying do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm going to stand here. I'm, I'm going to stand here and say, I stand for this. This is what I believe in. And all of these are, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to hear somebody actually, I mean, like I say, I know you read it because there's like, that's, I love it. I love it. The first Honestly, this is the first podcast where someone really picked the novel apart and is bringing quotes out because I, I think there's there's many lessons in this novel. You teach, not by you know the the academic way of teaching is to just you listen to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna spout off on my podium. Yeah. But the way you teach, the way you educate is to entertain first. If you can catch somebody, entertain them, then then you've got their attention. Yeah. Education is a byproduct of entertainment. So 
the novel is meant to be entertaining. So, and you, people can read it at that level. Just, I mean, it's not a beach read. You're going to have to, you know, someone that's expecting they're going to sit down in two hours, read it, throw it away, or read two pages a night as you're going to bed. It'll be because it'll be <laughs> you can't put it down. <laughs> that was my goal. I was like, okay, it, it, I, I can't stop reading this. <laughs> I'll I t- I tell you a quick funny story about exactly that. I, I sent an ARC, advanced reader copy, to uh, Willie Robertson you know, of the Duck Commander guys. Oh, and we've Duck. been there to visit. Is that right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've known Willie Bill. I mean, I've known Willie since he started all this. Wow. And uh, so I sent him a copy. And uh, the other day, my guys on my team were negotiating contracts with the Outdoor Channel down in the States and the Sportsman's Channel, the the uh, Outdoor Sportsman's Group, for airtime. And, and they were talking during Army, and they said, you know, yesterday we had Willie Robertson in here. We were negotiating a contract. And they said, you know, we had him for an hour. He's a tough guy to get in there. He said he cut the meeting short. So we were in the meeting, still 15, 10 minutes left. And, and he said to us, he said, I got to go. And they said, why? And he said, because I'm reading Shockey's novel and I'm in the last chapter. And I, he says, I got to find out what happens. <laughs> so, I mean, that I, I love that story because that's not coming from Willie blowing smoke at me. It's actually. It's actually <laughs> he left that, the meeting early? <laughs> I relate. I relate. Yeah. That's a phenomenal story. Yeah, you never. You don't really know the ending until the ending. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, it, when I wrote it, the first version, the manuscript. Th- that's not how it ended. I left it four chapters earlier with Niala screaming, and and that was where I ended it as as a cliffhanger. And uh, Emily Bessler, when she read it, she went. She loved it. You know, she's a rock star of editing, and and uh, yeah. and she she her first notes to me were. Uh, one thing, you're a first-time novelist. You cannot leave the readers with a cliffhanger. She said uh-huh. Stephen King can or any of the big guys, but but you are you know they'll buy their second book to follow up. Mm-hmm. Said not you. So so I had to write the first four chapters of the second book and tack them on to the end to to give it a nice wrapped up package. So so the yeah so th- those were you're actually those last four chapters were in my intent to be the first four chapters of the sequel to that, which I've always envisioned. A, it, I think it's a three-book story because it's too long. I, I, you know, it'd be 1,200 pages. So I've always envisioned three, and I, I believe we signed a two-book deal with Simon & Schuster. So I have to finish, you know, do the second book here pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I've been doing it all the way along if I was disciplined. and But but I've got a, had a lot of things going on in my yeah. life over the last few years. Yeah, but, sure. I love I love that Willie left the meeting. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I want to start to do that, Jim. I'm going to be like, sorry, I got to go. Yeah. I'm reading a really good book, <laughs> and I have to finish it. Yeah, if if it's a good book, I mean, I'm exactly like you. I, I don't put it down. I, I just mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't care. I'll read till three in the morning yeah. and just to get to the end of the book. Yeah. Well, the thing isn't it cool? Like you've loved novels since you were ten, and now you've got a novel out there that's the same. Like, I mean, I took it with me everywhere. I was like in my purse. I read in the car. Sometimes I get sick. I was like, I have to know what's going to happen in the story. Okay, so here's a question. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. It's a big question. Do you think that you will outsell your daughter's book? Oh, I better. I, I, <laughs> I've been trash talking her for so long. It's uh, <laughs> it, yeah. And she, to be fair, she looks back at me and says, Dad, my advance was twice as big as yours. Yeah. So, so that was... <laughs> I, I tried 
Yeah, her advance was identical to mine, actually, but I mine's a two-book deal. Hers was a one-book deal. So I tried to get the Simon & Schuster guys to, you know, it was a nice big fat round number, and I tried to get them to add $1 to it so that I could always say, no, my, you know, my. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's, you know, but but I guess, that's I don't know, maybe, you know, bean counters don't like the extra $1. They, they didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And, but I, I literally tried because for me, life, you got to have fun in life. And, and that's, uh-huh. it's, that's fun. You know, and now it's selling my daughter's book. I mean, it, you know, it's a great, great book, Taking Aim. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah, a beautiful book uh, that she put out, um, I, boy, it was probably six, seven, eight years ago. I'm not sure. Six mm-hmm. years ago. But, but yeah, it's a fabulous book. But I really sincerely hope mine. <laughs> I, I, but every day she'll tell me I have more me- social media followers than you do. So she, <laughs> her and I are, she does have a lot. Oh yeah, she does. She, she does she's sure a have a lot. Popular young influencer, I guess they call them now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Evie, Evie's book is a good book. It was a nice, nice story about our family. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question: What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com 1000 hours. When the skies open up, While others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing vessies, stormburst boots, to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then your son is writing a book too. Yeah, he's got one of, of our family, Louise, my, my wife. Mm-hmm. She had more talent in her little fingernail than I have in my entire body. I have a pile of desire, you know, so that motivates me to to overcome the lack of talent. Our daughter, Eva, I don't want to say she's got a lack of talent and, and lump her in with me, but we're kind of the same. Our, our son, <clears throat> our son, 
you know, for whatever, you know, combinations and permutations and recombinations ended up with Louisa's talent, uh, both in singing, songwriting, I mean, amazing, like just such a magical artist, you know, not, not saying, you know, carving and whatnot, but, but music creation. And he works in the medium of, of video and, and what, what he created is, is astounding. But then he, he, he does he does things like that. He he said, "Oh yeah, I wrote a novel." And I said, "You wrote a novel?" He said, "Yeah, just did it." And he and same with his songs. He's got I, right now. If I played a song, I'll guarantee everybody out there would would go, "That's great!" Like that's wow. the best song I've heard since "Let It Be." I guarantee it. It's it's and it just he's comes done. out it's like yeah, that. He doesn't. But he doesn't. He doesn't share it with anybody. He just keeps it and doesn't worry about it. So he he wrote this book, Dwellers. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I read this thing. I go, are you kidding me? Like his characterization. Now I've had more, you know, I, I've honed the, the craft. I've, I've written a thousand articles for magazines over the years. And, and I, you know, it's a craft. And my early writings, I go, Ugh, you know, it's not, it, it's just not that good because it takes time to hone the craft. But that's mm-hmm. a skill. The yeah. talent and the storytelling, the artistry of the novel, I, it, it just was shocking. His characterization. He's got a character in his book that, and I, I you know, I'm unworthy. <laughs> he, he, he is such a beautiful character. Like, I mean, I'm, when I say beautiful, I mean pretty looking. Just the way he's molded this, like a depth. Oh yeah, and 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 his his likability and his, you know, I, I, some I don't know what it is, some kind of essence that you just, you it just comes across. And I mean, I you know, I think. The closest I came was Luba in my book. Oh, you know, yeah. You know that that's the closest yeah, I the came. Roommate. To, yeah, the roommate. Yeah, the roommate. Yeah, the sidekick. Yeah, but, but he he just did it effortlessly, and without sixty years of of uh, living when he wrote it. He so he he um, yeah his his book is really good, and and I, you're not in in the writing world. Apparently, you're not supposed to pass other novels around because if People don't like them, and it's your agent or the publisher. They go, oh, "Great, you just wasted eight hours of my life reading this thing." But but his book is really good. It's really really good. And if mine does well enough, I'm happy to throw my career, put it on the edge of, and and, and risk it and say, "Read this other book because this is good." So it's not out, like it's not available. It's like our son's songs. He's got them all recorded. They're beautifully done, videoed, like. <laughs> I swear, if I played him right now with him playing with a video, you'd just be shocked. And it's the same with his novel. He wrote it and just put it on a shelf and and keeps living his life with raising his two little boys with his wife down in Kansas City. Wow. You know, it's interesting because Stephen Pressfield's got that book, The War of Art. And one of the things he said in there about people who are really talented like that, who have this sort of natural ability at whatever the thing is, whether it's art or music or writing and he said that it just comes from some place inside of them that i thought this was fascinating that they may not even they don't really even know where it comes from because it's not like maybe a skill like you've spent ten thousand hours trying to learn how to play the violin or whatever that it comes from this innate part inside of you and so he said that when you compliment people like that or when you make a big deal 
that they just kind of brush it off because they're just kind of like, whatever, like, I don't know where it came from and I just did it. And it's not that big of a deal. Whereas to everyone else, it's a huge deal because they say, look, I could never create a character like that, or I could never write a song like that. To those who have that innately, it just bubbles up. I mean, as, even as you're talking, there's quotes coming to my mind from the books I read. Uh, it was uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He said, mediocrity is incapable of recognizing anything greater than itself. But talent instantly recognizes genius. And I truly believe that. You know, like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a talented writer. Okay, you know, like I got a novel out of it. It was been vetted to this point. You know, so, it, you know, to, to be, I don't want to be, you know, false humility and also don't want to be arrogant. But, it, but it, you know, talent, not genius. But when I read our son's work, you know, I'm, I'm seeing yeah. genius. And that, yeah. that's same with music. I mean, I, I wrote a song in 2018, um, Howl With Me, uh, a blues song. And I'm not a good musician, I'm, but you know, I can tell a story. And, and it, yeah. that song, I recorded it, and it went to number one on the iTunes blues charts, past Etta James, past uh, the Blues Brothers and the Canned Heat. So, you know, okay, I got a little bit of talent. There you go. There, there's the measurement. <laughs> or a lot of it. It passed up your daughter if she ever wrote a blues song. You were at the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, that's one thing I have on her. But but that's that's not genius. When I listen to our son as as a talented talent, whatever level, I recognize genius. And that that's it's the same thing for the people that just have this this ability, you know. And they don't. It's not you know they're not oh, another. Sorry, I'm going to drag out quotes here. Willa Cather from the Professor's House. She said that motivation, or no, desire is the magical element in creation. And if you could invent an instrument that could measure desire, you could predict Ooh. achievement, right? Wow. Now, I have a tremendous amount of desire to do, you know, attain this goal, do this. And, and yes, if you had an instrument, you could measure, you know, what I've achieved in my life. But I think she was wrong a little bit about that because I think that desire may be the magical element in creation, but you... You don't need to have desire. Achievement isn't necessarily achievement like I think she was thinking, you know, money or acclaim okay. or celebrity, uh, notoriety. I think sometimes achievement is just here it is and it's on a shelf. And mm -hmm. you achieved it. You you created yeah. this magnificent work of art, but you yeah. didn't do it for any commercial reasons. Wow. You you did it purely and no so, so you can't measure that, and and it kind of puts it outside of that. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I if, if I could do songs <laughs> like "Insufferable," I would be oh, I'd be Mick Jagger. See you on every stage that there is. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, cover of the Rolling Stone, baby. That's where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but for whatever reason, whoever the creator is that allows talent to be given, you know, he made sure that I got you know a fingernail <laughs> worth not. Not enough to, to to be insufferable to the whole world, although I'm sure I am to some people. But uh, <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, well, hopefully that book comes out because I'm, I'm super intrigued and I want to read that one too. Can we hit one more topic because I thought it was such a big one in the book, and I think just for parents everywhere, you know, Hunter was this character that was, I think, vastly misunderstood. Like you're talking about genius and kind of what's inside of you. He had so much inside of him that wasn't recognized, and I thought it was such a such a pivotal part in the book when it is recognized that 
you know, they think he can't do this and he can't read. And, you know, I think a lot of us have kids that maybe are not recognized for their potential. They're labeled this or they're labeled that and they kind of get stuck in a box. And I was really intrigued by his character of, well, and there was some fascinating things in here about reading, you know, just the fastest reader. Was this true? Hey, Google it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, like, yeah, it's true. Can read 25,000 words per minute, and the fastest reader in the Philippines can read 80,000 words per minute, which is like a whole novel, yeah. <laughs> and can have 100% comprehension. Oh, and here's the quote. Mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius. Why did you create Hunter as a character that was misunderstood in that way? Because I think there's a lot of people out there right now that going through public school when they started <clears throat> they couldn't read you know I, I, one of our my best friends out here never got grade eight education but he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and it, and he couldn't you know it was a it was he dyslexic was he autistic you know was he on the spectrum somewhere was he asperger's you know i i think there's many many people that don't fit in that bell curve you know they're not in that curve but you know there's a significant you know, bell curve's great. Middle of the road, good, mediocrity, wonderful. But there's a lot of people out on the outer edge that that slip through the cracks starting in public school, even before that. People particularly that are interested in the outdoors nowadays because you're you're a bit of a, an anomaly. You, I like the outdoors. I like collecting insects. But you're going to school in downtown Montreal or, or Toronto. You, you know, there is no insects here. You know, I like seeing a bird, you know, a seagull, whatever flies over you're weird yeah you know come and play, play video games with me you know so so that bell curve unfortunately is is putting a lot more people nowadays i think it's it's much it's a bigger population number but it's it's not representative of, of the I, I guess demographics ge geographically you know so mm -hmm. so there's people that many i talked to another fellow yesterday that couldn't read you know he wasn't interested in school because he was bored they weren't a challenging him with the things that he was interested in and that's what hunter you know the the child psychiatrist explains yeah. you have to take him to the library and get him to read you know there's just there's many many people that i think can relate to that where and for whatever reason what they look like maybe you know how they dressed what their you know color of their skin what you know religion whatever just maybe the food they brought for lunch I mean, I, I went to school, I had I had moose sausage, you know, for big slabs and homemade bread. Well, everybody else had Wonder Bread and, and processed meat slices, you know, which I, I was so ashamed of my big, thick sausage, you know, so I'd, you know, eat it quietly with, you know, and it, you know, th those kind of stigma, that affects people for their whole life. For me, you know, I, I guess it, um, it affected me because I, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I vowed to embrace what I am and who I am and, and, and never be ashamed of it, never apologize for it. And, and it, it doesn't matter that I don't fit into this little crowd. Now I had the strength and <clears throat> maybe the, I guess, motivation to not uh, be pushed around or bullied or, but not everybody does. You know, not everybody has that. And physically I, I wasn't a little guy. I could, if I had to get in and duke it out with my buddies, you know, that were making fun of me, I could do it. Yeah, but not everybody can. So, so I, yeah, I mean, part of, part of this book is also so that people that are out on those edges of the bell curve can relate and say, yeah, yes, there's a, there's one of us that 
you know, was recognized for their ability. And we all have it. We all have something. Every single person that you've met, no matter how foul they may appear on the surface or, you know, how alien is their point of view on something, every single person in this world has something about them that that is interesting and something that we should look for and, and try and find that, you know, that connection again. Jim, what a book. What an honor to get to talk with the author. I mean, truly, truly, I just am beyond thrilled. Loved it. And I'm so grateful for this hour. We always end our podcast with a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside. You know, I, I can remember my, my earliest memory was my dad and my uncles tearing down a, a, an old wooden granary on the farm. And, and while they were working, I was there, you know, there was bricks laying around and the, the bricks and the, they had the little indent on the bottom. If I turned them over, there was earthworms. And I can remember vividly and, and beetle bugs. I can remember that instant knowing who I was, that, that this, I was fascinated by this. You know, I wasn't interested in the toys that the other kids were playing with. I was fascinated by the natural world starting at the age of two and th that that set me, I mean, it's it defined who I was, you know, just being true to who I was for the rest of my life. That's why I love, I don't care. I don't, I, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else thinks of me because of, because I'm a little weird, you know, or different, you know, based on what they think is not weird. Yeah. I didn't, well, I knew at that point that's who I was and, and uh, I was two. I mean, I don't know, two, three, I, saw, I was so small anyway that I know my dad got heck for leaving me alone to, to get covered in, in mucky earthworm guts. So it was, so, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, beautiful, wonderful memory and, you know, close to family doing good, hard work. Yeah. Wow. What a memory. Jim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for a wonderful, entertaining, but also educational story. Huge congrats on your first fiction work. Absolutely loved it. Oh, thank you. I'm going to get a big fat head. I won't be able to put my cowboy hat on. <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh, you bet. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.